And we are in the book of Amos, and we are in the um, third chapter of the book of Amos. So if you would turn with me, please, we'll see what Amos has to say. Now, this is, in a sense, the second sermon you've had this morning. And what we are going to look at as we look at Amos is we're going to see three sermons that Amos gives to us. Three sermons that are written down, no doubt when he spoke these messages, possibly on multiple occasions in various cities, as he brought his prophecies and his messages to the people of Israel Um, The sermons may have been much longer. They may have included a lot of other things. But here we have condensed the message that Amos the prophet, this herdsman from Tekoa, this man who has come from the region of Jerusalem to the tribes of Israel, is bringing to the people of Israel. And the three messages that he brings all begin with the words, hear this, Shema Shim'u et Hadavar Hazeh. Remember this message. Hear this message. And I know that for each one of us here this morning, when we come to the Kehillah on Shabbat, we're not coming specifically to hear Joel, or Steve, or Richard, or Daniel, or Al speak. We're not coming specifically to sing the songs. What we are really coming for is to hear from the Lord. Because we are looking, myself included, for what the Lord has to say to us and to me. And sometimes we're not all on the same page when it comes to the exact intricacies of the doctrines of Scripture. We're not always thinking alike concerning the the political scenarios that we are facing in the world today in America, where I happen to live. Uh, They're ready for an earthquake on Friday when Donald Trump takes the presidency Um, Some people are scared. Some people are ecstatic. We're not concerned about those things. We are concerned together, not about our differences, but about what God has to say to us. And so as much as possible, as we look at these words from the prophet Amos, I hope that this morning, we can hear the word of the Lord to us. Sometimes it's a little difficult. A lot of people will avoid preaching from the prophets because they don't know how to interpret the words of the Lord as they are written by the prophets. But here are these three messages, and they do actually have many things that should resonate with our souls, that should draw us together. So let's look at the first of the three sermons. Chapter 3, verse 1 of the prophet Amos, a prophet verified to us by the Lord and whose words have been recognized throughout history as his words. Shim'u et hadavar hazeh. 
Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. This is the introduction to the sermon that Amos is bringing to the tribes of Israel. And he addresses them as a family. And in fact, Israel is today even a family, not a race and not specifically a nation and not specifically merely a religion, but a family, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who live to this day in many countries around the world. I work for Chosen People Ministries, and our our ministry is represented in 16 or 17 different countries around the world. And that's where we are in both hemispheres, both east and west. But we are a family. Many people try to define who is a Jew. And you can't define a Jew simply by being a race. You can't define by religion. We are a family. And the Lord speaks and says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now, the Lord knows every family of the earth, but he is saying, This is the family that I have had as ad- adopted as mine. This is the family that I have taken under my wing. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The rabbis look at this and they say, what is this? Why is it? And I noticed we, we laughed because... You are mine, therefore I will punish you. What is this all about? And as uh, a couple rabbis, uh, Ibn Ezra and Kimchi, have, have commented, they have said, you know, it seems to be from history that God has always judged the people of Israel. But look, we are still here. And there are many other nations that the Lord has judged And today they are as nothing, the Medes. Well, people believe the Medes are now the Kurds. They don't have a nation of their own. they, They are a scattered people across various countries. There are other nations that are mentioned in Scripture that the Lord has called out and no longer exist at all. And yet Israel today prospers. Today we are facing the prospect of the nations gathering against Israel. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 2. The nations gathered against Israel, against the Lord's Holy One, conspiring against him. The nations are seeking to impose upon Israel a peace settlement that is not negotiated, simply imposed. Whereas Israel has always said, we are willing to negotiate for land, for peace with the Palestinians, The Palestinians have refused to negotiate. And so the nations seem, we'll see what happens, but seem to be bound and determined just to do what they can to give to the Palestinians everything they want without the Palestinians having to give anything to Israel in return, which is simply recognition 
as a Jewish state and peace. That's all Israel wants, as well as um, the continued existence of about 3 to 6% of the what we call sometimes the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, including East Jerusalem with the Kotel, the Western Wall. It's a terrible thing we are facing. Israel continues to be judged as it were if this is God's judgment with the nations conspiring against Israel. And we look at this and we say, God has said to us, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. And we look forward to the day of Messiah when justice will come. And by the time we get to the end of these these three sermons, we see God's concern for justice because Messiah will sit on his throne and justice will come to Israel and to the nation. And we will together serve him. So that is the introduction. Amos says you are the family that is known of all the families of the earth. And now he begins to ask seven questions. You can count them as we read through, starting in verse 3. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth when there's no trap for it? Will it just kind of fall into the trap? Um, Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? And we might not fully understand all of the context of these seven questions that Amos brings to the people of Israel. But they knew that a lion would roar when it was catching its prey. They knew that, um, that a bird would not fall into a snare on the earth if there was no trap for it. They knew that there was a connection between each of these things. There was a connection that they knew well. And the final one, is there calamity in the city? Will the, not the Lord have done it? Would remind them that the Lord is working, even in calamity in a city. And so the result of these seven questions, and the number seven is, of course, very significant. Amos has not written them down as seven questions without forethought. This is a complete, encompassing truth that we are being faced with. Surely, verse 7, the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is a clear word from the Lord, and Amos is saying this word is being given to you. The Lord has revealed it, and he says, a lion has roared. And you'd better hear 
And we don't know if Amos had a very loud voice. We don't know if he was a, a, a man of small stature or very tall or and imposing. We don't know anything about him. But we know through his words that a lion has roared, there is something to listen to. This is the voice of the Lord. He has revealed his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And we are reminded when we see this that we ought to be listening to the words of the prophets. This is why we read our scripture. This is why since the 16th century we have been blessed by the printing press to have individually, even in our hands, the word of God because we can read and we can know what God is saying to us. And we ought to listen to the words of the prophets. A lion has roared and we a prophet cannot ignore the call of the Lord, and neither can we ignore the words of the Lord. Because God is going to judge. God is a judging God. And this is the message of the first chapter, or of the three. The first of Amos's three sermons. God is a judging God. We live in a world where we like to focus on the fatherhood of God. We like to focus on his love and his mercy and his grace. And it's all very true, all of those things. But we also need to remember that in order for there to be grace, there needs to be a judgment that we are being graciously spared from. In order for there to be mercy, there needs to be something that was going to happen to us that in God's mercy we are being spared from. And we need to understand the full breadth, as much as is possible with our very finite minds, the character of God, who is more than just someone who doles out sweet things and is loving but is a God who encompasses all. Thus, Amos has already said, if there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? God is involved in all that happens in life, even the tragedies of the world. God has allowed them to happen. We know for the sake of ultimate good that God has a long-term plan that all these evils will turn out. For good. But on the other hand, we remember that God is a judging God. And we approach Him as Father. And we recognize His love and we bathe in His love all the more, knowing what we have been saved from through Messiah Yeshua, knowing the greatness of His mercy because we understand what we have been saved for, the, from, the consequences of sin, the consequences of our own evil deeds in life, what mercy God has shown us. And the light is so much brighter when you've been in a dark room. And when everything is dark around, the light of God speaks. 
And so the Lord speaks through Amos and says, I will punish, in verse 14, Israel for their transgressions. I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And so in Beit El, where the Israelites had erected an altar to their false gods, God says, I will judge. And we can be thankful that God judges because the evil things in the world will be judged. Not the good things. The evil things will be judged. And God will set things to right. That is the first message. Hear this. I will judge. But Amos chapter 4 continues with the second message. Shim'u hadavar Adonai. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Shamron, Samaria. Hear this, and we read it now, and this is insulting language. This is verging on misogynistic, and this is very inappropriate. What is Amas doing? Now, we can say back then things were different, but I can't imagine that the woman who were listening to him, were that impressed with what he was saying. But what he is doing is what the prophets have done repeatedly, is to insult those who they are speaking to so that they might pay attention, so that they might hear to the leaders, the priests, and the Levites of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 1, he says, you know, the ox knows his Uh, his stable. The donkey knows its stall, but you don't know the Lord your God. And it's a big insult to the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel or Judah and Jerusalem in the book of Isaiah. And here there is a problem, and actually it's a problem that's, that's not just a problem that occurs among women, but among men as well. But he's saying, you're not exempt either from the sins that your husbands are involved in. You too are part of this. You cannot hide. Here are people who are material. You know, there's an album out, I think, called The Material Woman. Um, These are material people who are just concerned with their own comforts, with what pleases them, with their wine and their prosperity. And he says, you will go out through broken walls. This is all coming to an end. And it's a message to the men and to the women that the judgment of God is coming. And they need to know this. But what do they need to know? They need to know that the Lord, he is God. And he begins to speak to the people of Israel. And he begins to show to them five missed opportunities. And each missed opportunity is accompanied by the phrase, Yet you have not returned to me. Velo shabtem adai neum adonai. You have not returned to me. The first missed opportunity is... In verse 6, the Lord says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. In other words, 
your teeth were very clean. You had nothing to eat in all of your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me. It is a missed opportunity in verse 6. In verse 7, he says, I, re- I withheld the rain and it was dry in your land. There was a drought. The Californians are very happy. Their drought is more or less over right now. Lake Shasta is full. Um, you know, that's a good thing for California. But, but here, there was a drought sent by the Lord. And there was rain on one city. Another city was dry. And so they wandered around looking for water from city to city. Two or three cities wandered to another city to drink. But you were not satisfied. Verse 8. Yet you have not returned to me. There was hardship in their lives. And they didn't stop to say, what is this? Is everything all right between us and God? Because God promised to bless his children in the land if they were to follow him. So they should have asked, why is there a drought? In verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, fig trees, olive trees, the locust devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me. So there was all kinds of blight in their crops. And any time their crops did grow up, the locusts came and ate them. And they never stopped to ask. They never turned as a people. I'm sure some did. But as a people, they never turned back to the Lord. You have not returned to me, says the Lord Hashem. Then there was plague. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword. Verse 10. Yet you have not returned to me. The last one, in verse 11, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Saddam and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. This is the message. They needed to return to him. He's spoken about his judgment in that first sermon. And now the Lord is speaking through Amos in the second sermon about the need of the people of Israel to return to him. And so he says in verse 12, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I am the Lord, he says. In verse 13, the conclusion. The Lord of God of hosts is his name, Adonai, Elohei Tsevaot, Shemo, the Lord God of hosts. We need to turn to him. It's a reminder to us in our world of the need of us as individuals and of our world to turn towards the Lord. It is a reminder to us whenever we face difficulty to turn to him to seek the Lord in the midst of our troubles. All these troubles came upon the children of Israel, and they had not returned to him. 
trial should not be something that separates us from God, but it should be something that drives us closer to him. As the psalmist says, I have found shelter in the shadow of your wings. The time when King David, at that time not a king, faced the greatest trials in his life, he used those trials to drive him closer to the Lord. Instead of saying, look, you promised me I'd be king and instead I'm in the desert and Saul is chasing me and my life is a misery and hardship and I don't know if this will be my last day, if he will finally catch me. Instead of getting bitter, David turned to the Lord as his ultimate strength, his ultimate strong tower. That's what we are called to do in this second message from Amos in chapter 4. The third message of Amos in chapter 5 and 6. Shim'u et hadavar hazeh. Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. The Lord laments, Amos laments, this is what is going to happen. Now he is explaining to the tribes of Israel what is in their future. There will be few left. The land will be decimated. Where there were a hundred, there will be ten as they go into captivity. And so he tells them what they ought to do. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, in verse 4, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall go into captivity, Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. And that is God's constant reminder to us. Seek me and live. You will see what I will do, he says. I will reach out to you. You who turn justice, in verse 7, to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He cries out to them to actually turn to do justice, to do that is, which is right. And we are in the midst of this call to seek God, maybe reminded, you know, in two weeks we're going to have Missions Fest in Vancouver, and Christian churches from around the city will go down to Pan Pacific, and, and they will go to the convention center and, and celebrate this, this, I guess, endeavor, this, this mission to reach the nations of the world with the good news of Messiah. Seek the Lord, and live. And it's a message that needs to go forth. Seek that which is good. In verses 14 to 17, seek good 
and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you, with you, as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And as God deals with Israel and as he seeks to cause Israel to establish justice, it's the same message that he has for the world to to seek mercy, to seek that which is good, to seek the Lord God of hosts. There are woes that are brought against the nations or against Israel. In verse 18, chapter 5 and verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not night and not light. Joel read to us earlier from the book of Acts, which was quoting another Joel in the prophets about the day of the Lord. And the prophet Joel speaks about this day, which is gloom and darkness. It's the same day that Amos is speaking about in chapter 5 and verse 18. The day of the Lord will be darkness and not light. There are many people today who are anticipating the day of the Lord, and, and sometimes one finds this a bit strange, the, the obsession with prophecy and the gleeful anticipation of, of those days of judgment when the Lord will come and judge the nations. That will be a day of darkness and not light. He said, don't look forward to it. And no doubt there were those in the tribes of Israel who were looking forward to it, maybe because they expected in that day that Israel would be delivered from all of her enemies. No, it will be a day of darkness and not light. We don't, we look forward, let let me say, to the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. But the day of the Lord will be a day of judgment on the world, not a day of rejoicing. There's another woe that is brought to the people who are hearing Amos. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. Woe to those who are at ease, to those who are enjoying life, and life is good. We live in a world with increasing prosperity. Countries that once we knew as countries full of starvation are now prosperous. I know China is growing more and more powerful by the day. In India, uh, poverty is still there in, in, to a terrible degree, but it's, it's not a country where there is mass starvation. We are living in a world that is actually becoming more prosperous, where food food scarcity is becoming less common. And woe to those who are at ease, those who trust in Samaria, who trust in false gods. Woe to them, because there is only one true God. Verse 3, chapter 6, another woe that is set forth. 
Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who cause the seat of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments. And that's the other side of the equation. There are those who need to know that the day of the Lord is a day of doom and darkness and not a day to rejoice in. But there are other people who are saying, it'll never come. The judgment of the Lord will never come. Isaiah speaks to these people often as he prophesies. People who deny that the Lord is coming. We've been around for 2,000 years since Messiah. Followers of him. And we need to keep alive the, the, the expectation and the knowledge that he will return as he has said he would. Among the Jewish people as a whole, many have given up their faith that Messiah will come. And so we have among our people a, a focus on tikkun ha'olam, the healing of the world. We're going to make this world as good as we can. Because we've given up, essentially, on a personal Messiah. But those who believe the scriptures, whether Jewish, who do not believe in Messiah, Yeshua, or, and those who do, those who believe in the scriptures know that Messiah is coming, and he will take his place, and he will judge. Don't say it is so far off. Don't pretend that Messiah will not come. Because he is coming. Woe to those who put far off the day of doom. The day is coming when he will, come, when he will set things right. And so we are given three sermons. A sermon on God as the judge. A sermon that leads us to the point where we need to turn to the Lord, the God of of hosts, a sermon that reminds us to prepare for the day of the Lord and be ready for his coming. In chapter 3 and verse 3, we started out with the saying, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And I hope that we are agreed on these things because obviously the answer to this rhetorical question is, no, people, two people cannot walk together unless they be agreed. They will end up going in separate directions to where they want to go. But here we are following Messiah, and we want to be agreed on the message of the prophet that reminds us to focus on the judgment Remember that God is judge, to remember who he is, the Lord God of hosts, and to turn to him and to turn to his justice. Chapter 3 and verse 6, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not be the people be afraid? We want to turn our hearts to hear the voice of the Lord through his prophets. We want to make it real for ourselves. We want to have that vital living relationship with God. For in truth, a lion has roared. These words are powerful. 
they tell us that there is something to pay attention to. And lastly, in chapter 5 and verse 24, the justice of the Lord. Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let God's justice take place. We cannot set what is going to happen in Paris this weekend. We cannot um, predetermine the results of this conference, although clearly there are people organizing behind the scenes who have a design and a conclusion that they want to come to. We don't know. But let God's justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let that stream cover the earth so that his righteousness is everywhere and that it covers everything. We know that that day will come when Messiah will rule, when justice will come to our people Israel, Well, when justice will come to those thousands, in fact, hundreds of thousands of Christians who are suffering for their faith, even today around the world. It's no surprise. No surprise that it is both Jews and Christians who are the most persecuted people in the world because both stand for the righteousness and justice of God, the God who is both judge but who is also the one who extends his love to us and to all the nations of the world. We can thank God that we do have a God who is merciful and just and who is our heavenly Father and calls us to turn to him. Because when we turn to him, that is when we experience his mercies. That is when we experience his grace. That is when we experience his Father's embrace. And so let us be those who turn to him in the midst of all the difficulties of our personal lives and the difficulties of this world that we live in. Avinu Shava Shemayim. We thank you for your son. We thank you for Messiah Yeshua who came and who suffered your judgment so that we might experience your grace. We thank you that your day is coming, the day when you will cause your justice to roll forth like a mighty stream upon this earth. And Father, we pray that in the midst of those things that might confound us and that might distract us from your justice, we pray that we might experience your love and your grace. We thank you that we do not experience our just deserts because of Messiah Yeshua. We look forward to his coming. We pray, Father, that in that day when he does come, that we might be found ready. We pray that you might be glorified in us on that day. In Yeshua's own name, amen.